How are you this morning? Are you good? It's a good day to be in the house. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us today. I know that we have a few people out sick and people on vacation. I'm glad that we have this means to connect uh, with with everybody. Uh, It's a good day to be here. Uh, We are in week two of our series, Be Still and no. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but I have been really uh, growing and been challenged in the Word um, as I have been studying and as I've been preparing. And as I acknowledged last week, I never count it, uh, I, I never take it for ground, granted, and I always take it uh, as a privilege, count it as a privilege to be able to present and to teach God's Word. Um, and I want to do so, and I'm, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will speak through me and that what Kevin has to bring would be fall to the ground and be forgotten, but what he has for us would remain. And uh, what he would, would say would be in our foundation. And so before we get started, we plowed a lot of ground last week um, and uh, set a foundation for this series. And so I want to uh, start by reviewing uh, last week so that we're, we're, we're able to continue to take off from that point. So last week we started in the series with a fundamental truth. I believe that this truth is essential for a believer to grab a hold of. I believe that this truth is transformative. I believe that this truth will help you in your perspective on how you view successful things in this world and tragedies in this world. And that truth is that this world is not our home. This world is not our home, though it may look like, feel like sometimes like it's our home, though we may grow comfortable in it sometimes, the world around us is actually chaotic, and I have to tell you, church, the world is not getting any better. If you are holding out for the world to get better, your hope is in the wrong place. This world is going to be destroyed. Uh, We are very certain of that. God has told us the end of the story, and this world is going away. Okay, so we don't belong here. We do not belong here. This world is, is not our home. But though we live in the world, if you are a believer, you have a citizenship in the kingdom of God. Your citizenship is in the kingdom of God, and you are a benefactor right now in this earth, on this globe. You are a benefactor of being a citizenship of that kingdom. And the very best thing that we have been given in this kingdom is access to the king. The very best thing we have is access to the king. As we talked about last week, though we live here in the United States, our citizenship, we, we, follow under, we fall under the Constitution of the United States. Well, the Constitution of the United States tells us it's time to take up your rights. It gives you the freedom to take up your rights. But the Constitution of the kingdom is the word of God, and that Constitution invites you to lay your rights down. It invites you to lay your rights down. We live in a democracy. That means we elect people to office. If we don't like what they do, we vote them out and we put somebody else in. But when you belong to a kingdom, there's a king. And what the king says goes. And the only way for a king to be replaced is for the king to die. And he has been there, done that, has a t-shirt, and he's alive today. He's alive today. Our king is alive today. Amen? And so in this context with being in this world and belonging as a citizen of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom, we also have to understand that as we navigate our life here on earth, that we are in a war. 
We are in a war, and the enemy wants to convince you that this war is about each other, that this war is against the people that you're sitting next to, the people you encounter on the street, the people you encounter at work. But this war is not against each other. Ephesians 6 tells us that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against the principalities and the spiritual forces of this dark world. And in this foreign land, in order to be able to use the weapons that we have been given, which 2 Corinthians tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not the same weapons as the world, but as we navigate our life in this foreign land, we need a guide, and that guide is the Holy Spirit of God. Your walk with the Lord, it is essential that you have a Holy Spirit relationship. It is so important that you have an active relationship and that you are listening to the Holy Spirit. You can have the knowledge of the word all day long, but the Holy Spirit is the one who tells you how and when to use that thing. You need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so we live in this foreign land and we trust the Holy Spirit and we have access to this God and this God has given us the ability to win his great favor. Proverbs 3 tells us that we can win his favor by living our lives in a righteous way. And I don't know about you, but I cannot on my own strength live a righteous lifestyle. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me live in righteous ways. And if we live in righteousness, then we can win the great favor of God. And I'm telling you guys, like I said last week, I need God's favor in my life. You need God's favor in your life. So how do we attain God's favor? We attain God's favor through living righteous lifestyles. And so I believe that God has this favor for us. And God's favor is not about big cars, not about big houses, having a large bank account. God's favor basically bestows on us three things, protection, provision, and peace. Protection, provision, and peace. Now, last week, we focused on protection. We talked about the Israelites coming up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army behind them and how God protected them in that situation. Today, we're gonna move on and talk about, I believe, one of the biggest things that trips us up as believers. If there was a litmus test on your trust in the Lord, for most people, this is the area where we get tripped up, and it is the area of provision. It's the area of provision. When things seem to be going great and I've got everything I need, there seems to not be a need for God. But when things are messed up and I have lack and I have need, all of a sudden I'm calling out on his name. But today my hope would be that we understand that God is not a wish giver. He's not Santa Claus. He's not somebody that we just scratch and get what we need, but he is the person that we should be pursuing with all our heart, soul, and mind. He is what we are after. He is who we are after. And so with that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me today. We're going to read again from the book of Psalm, chapter 46. You are a soldier in the army of God. You are a soldier in the army of God. And so I want us to read this scripture with gusto today. I want us to read as if we were soldiers and that we actually believe what this word says. Are we ready? That did not sound like you are ready. Let's try that again. Are you ready? Let's do it. God is our refuge and strength, 
an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so what I'm going to invite you to do today, I'm going to ask you to trust me with something. We don't do this very often, but what I want you to do is I'm going to invite you to participate in this prayer that we're going to pray right now. So if you will take your hands and just do this right here. And if you would just repeat this prayer after me. Father God, open my eyes to see and give me the strength to change the hidden things in my life that go against your will and your word so that I can become more like you. Amen. You may be seated. If you didn't like that prayer, you may leave. But if you're tempted to leave, you're probably the one that needs to stay. When I think about war, when I think about war, I think about what probably everybody else in the room thinks about. If you've seen any type of movie or anything like that, you think of military, I think tanks, I think explosions, I think rank and file, I think submission to authority. All of these, all of these things come to mind when someone says the word war. And naturally so, because we live in a culture that that is what war is defined as. And war is, is basically a series of battles. War is basically a, a series of battles against two or more opposing, opposing sides. And while I haven't actually served actively in the military or the armed forces, I'm not a novice when it comes to understanding how the military works and how rank and file works and all of those things because as a teenager, I took JROTC for three years in high school. That's an interesting piece of information that now you have about me, okay? And so that I could allow you guys some entertainment this morning, I'm going to let you laugh at the pictures. Here they are. Okay, now, 
So I understand a little bit about how rank and file work, how submission to authority works, and the process of this thing uh, called the armed forces and military and what the goals are. And we learn these things in, in JRTC. When I started JRTC, there were about 150 uh, freshmen who signed up to be a part of JRTC. And so we would go in there and we were a part of the battalion and we were assigned to platoons and we would be in there. And then in the sophomore year, that 150 number turned turned into 75. And then in the sophomore to junior year, that 75 number turned into about 40. And then that junior year into senior year, it was about 10 to 15. Now, the reason, the reason that the numbers were dwindling, were two things, were, one or two things were happening. Either the cadets were weeding themselves out or they were being weeded out. One way or the other, because there are so, only so many leadership positions. There are only so many thing, way, uh, positions to advance up to. And so they would weed themselves out. Now, the purpose of JRTC and the purpose of drill and the purpose of boot camp, and if anybody has served in active service, you know that this is true. The purpose of those things is to dismantle your understanding of being an individual and having your own individual thought process of how to defeat the enemy and to restructure and to build you up to think as a collective and a unit. This is why in the military, you see everybody looking exactly the same. You see them practicing marching in cadence, be everybody beating to the same drum. Everybody is together because there is no such thing as I feel this way about what you're asking me to do. There is rank and file, there is order, there is structure, and somebody's in charge. And the discipline that is instilled inside this type of or, uh, this type of entity and structure, this discipline, gets you to the point to where when your commanding officer asks you to do something or tells you to do something, without hesitation, your response is, yes, sir, I'm on my way. And there is a breaking down of all of this self-will, this, this is what I think, this is what I want to do. Everything's obliterated in that, and you step up to the plate, and you march in rank with the unit, with someone who is in charge. And so with this breaking down and this discipline, especially if you've served in active service, it goes so deep and the commitment gets so deep that if the commanding officer said, I want you to go in front of the line of fire and sacrifice your life without hesitation, it's yes, sir. Because the innate belief and the programming that has been done is the decision that's being made by the commanding officer is for the benefit of the whole. And so my sacrifice is not in vain. We do not respond to authority that way. We are conditioned actually to respond in an opposite way. When an authority asks us to do something, it's more of like a suggestion. And if that, we like to let them know exactly how we feel about what they're telling us to do and all of our friends. And so we list all of these things and we go around and we tout all of this, all of this stuff and we basically thwart the authority that is in front of us. Now, I remember in my junior year of ROTC, this was my third year, I was going into my fourth year, Colonel Calloway, he set me down and he had a conversation with me. And I remember this conversation because it was one of the transformative parts of my life. And he pulled me in and he set me down and he said, Kevin, 
you have every making of a fantastic, phenomenal leader. And he said, there are many times this year where I considered you to be our next battalion commander, our next executive officer. But you have one fundamental thing standing in your way as I've observed you this, uh, this school year. And that fundamental thing is that you want to be liked by everyone. And he said to me this, he said, likeability is not a criteria for effective leadership. Likeability is not a criteria for effective leadership. Now, he crushed me, and I was upset, and I was hurt, but do you know that just because what your leader says doesn't feel good and that it hurts doesn't make it wrong? Do you know that when somebody in authority says something that you don't like, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong? And so I'm in that moment and I'm hurt and I'm bothered because I'm like, man, I've worked so hard. I deserve, dot, dot, dot. Let me tell you two of the most dangerous words you can put together is I deserve. I deserve. If you start to say or think I deserve, you need to get before the Lord. You've gotta get that cleaned out of your system because let me tell you something, truth be told, we don't really deserve much at all. We don't deserve, well, there is some things that we deserve and we can go into those things. Yes, there are some things that we deserve. But just because you don't like what a leader says doesn't mean that they aren't right. And so I didn't get the command of the battalion because I had a problem and my problem was I wanted to be liked. And you know what, looking back, he was right. In that time and period of my life, I was insecure. I was needing to be liked by everyone, and I wouldn't have been able to make the decisions and the choices needed to be made because I would have considered what the person thought about me. Now, hopefully that's worked out of me. Of course, you know, 30% of you don't like me, but I, uh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, maybe. Uh, but, but the reason that we're, I'm sharing this, the reason I'm sharing about leadership and the reason I'm talking about individual versus collective and unit is this. We're talking about provision today and I believe that God's provision is connected to your response to his authority. God's provision is connected to your response to his authority. Now, we have learned over in Romans chapter 13 that all authority has been established by whom? By God. All authority has been established by God. Now, a majority of you in this room have a job. Unless you're a vagabond, you, you have a job, okay? You've got, you, you, you've got a job, and you go to your job, and you report to work, and you are answerable to a boss, a manager, and a leader. And you go in, and your boss says, I want you to do this. And then you do it. And if you do it the way that they've asked you to do it, at the end of the week, they give you provision, right? They give you provision right now. If you go into your job and you go above and beyond the call of duty, then there's a likelihood that your provision will increase. But the opposite is also true. If you go into your place of employment and the boss says do X and you say, I'm not doing that. You go into your place of employment and he says do X and you do Y then there's an opportunity there for you not to have a job anymore. Therefore, your provision is taken away. So your provision is connected to your response to authority. Obedience is a response to authority. In fact, obedience is the right response to 
authority. And so in essence, what we have to understand here is how you respond to authority in your season of abundance will often dictate how your authority responds to you in your season of need. In your season of need. Many times we are haughty enough Can I say that? We are haughty enough to believe that everything is so good at this time that I can really lax off and really buying in, walking in obedience, listening to anything that the people in authority over me have to say. But then the tables turn. And all of a sudden, everything you did in that season of abundance is considered in your season of need in your season of need. This is why it's important that when you go and work your job, that you are not working as unto the man or the woman who's employed you. You work as unto the Lord. At all times, in all situations, that your work is consistent. If I'm told to be here at this time, I want to work with excellence and be there early. I want to go above and beyond. I want to show up with joy. I want to, I want to be faithful where I am. We had a situation uh, at the school many, many, many moons ago. We had, a, we had a situation, and we had a teacher. We'll call him Billy. And, um, and Billy, uh, Billy was a re- pretty good teacher, and, uh, and we had an opening that would be considered a promotion for Billy. And we had an opening. And so we went to, we went to Billy. It was middle of the year, and we said, we know this is not optimal, but we would like to take you out of the class you're teaching now and put you in this class over here. And Billy was excited. It was, it was an advancement. It was a promotion. He's like, yes, let's do it. And we said to Billy, we said, listen, we're going to evaluate this year. When we get to the end of the year and we're strategizing and setting up the school year for next year, we will at that point let you know whether we're going to continue here. But if you could just serve for this season and serve well, we would so appreciate it. And Billy said, yes, sir, and, and did that. So the year went on and the year was over and we got to the end of the year and the Lord said, supplied somebody else who was better suited, who had a better educational background and set and would be a better fit for the position that Billy Billy was in. And so we went to Billy and we said, Billy, listen, you have served so well. Thank you so much for the time that you've offered here. I appreciate your faithfulness here. We have found somebody who would be a better fit for our students and so uh, for this particular position. So we would like you to go back and serve in the area where you served before. Well, Billy didn't like that. Billy got hurt and upset, and so he began to gossip, and he began to tell untruths, and he began to, to stir up conflict because out of his hurt, out of, do you know sometimes out of our hurt, we do things that we should not do? And out of his hurt, he was, he was all of this stuff was coming to the surface. Well, did you know that three weeks later, another position opened, another position opened that would be perfect for Billy. It would be the advancement for Billy. But because of Billy's attitude and action in those three weeks, do you think the leadership decided to put Billy into that position? No, no. Sometimes when you are waiting for God to promote you, he is working things out of you so that you will be mature enough for the position he's about to give you. Sometimes you've got to work some things out of you. Yes, I am lusting toward, I want, I desire this position, but God says there's some things in you that we've got to call out before you get in there and you do some real damage. And so God is working in all of us. And so in that situation, had Billy said, okay, I don't like the situation. You don't have to be fake. You don't have to like the situation. You can be hurt. Guys, guys, you have a feeling of hurt. You might, you might be hurt in a situation, but you know what? You go to the king 
of the kingdom you belong to, and you say, God, I don't like this situation. I don't like how I feel right now, but I, and I need your help. Now, the world says gossip, slander, and walk out, but God says, press in, serve, love, and do it joyfully. And if you will do that, then you will see God do things in your life that you would blow your mind. The provision of your life will increase exponentially beyond what you could ever imagine if you will trust the Lord and you will do what he tells you to do in those situations. And so in our place of need, in our place of need. Maybe today you're in a place of need. Maybe you're asking yourself, man, Lord, I've been on my face asking you for a raise, asking you for a promotion. It just doesn't seem to be happening. Let me ask you a question. How are you respecting your authority? And I'm not talking about to their face. I'm talking about behind closed doors. I'm talking about the trash talk at the water cooler. I'm talking about those text messages. I'm talking about those, uh, what is it, passive aggressive Facebook messages. I'm talking about all of those things. How are you responding to your authority and to the position that you have been given? Because when you are faithful in small things, then you can be trusted with more. You can be trusted with more. So whether you have a bad leader in front of you or a good leader in front of you, whether you have any type of leader, they all have one thing in common. Leaders are people. Leaders are people. And people are flawed and messed up. Now listen, I've certainly been at this church long enough and probably in this position long enough for you all to know that I've got some flaws. I've got flaws. Some of you email me about my flaws on a weekly basis. You take me to lunch and tell me about my flaws. I'm aware I've got flaws in my life, okay? And so, and so I am messed up and I am, and I am flawed. But if you call me your pastor, I am a spiritual leader in your life, just like I have spiritual leaders in my life. And I am flawed. But the strength that we need to have in order to follow the flawed people God has placed in our life is this. We do not place our trust in human leaders. We place our trust in God who put them there. We place our trust in the God who put them there. And if we do that, then we can trust that if the leader is leading in a bad way, God will take care of that leader and he doesn't need your help. What he needs you to do is remain faithful to what he's told you to do, to serve, to press in, to be joyful. Sometimes you've got bad leaders in your life and you've got something that's supposed to help them lead better, but you're so busy talking bad about them that they can't tap into the gift you have to help them move forward. I know this is fun. Listen, I'm talking about God's great favor and provision in our lives. I'm talking about how we attain this, 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 this portion of his favor. How we respond to authority means everything. He gives us the ability to react to the authority the way we ought to because we know that God is in control and he is dealing with the leader as well. He's dealing with the leader as well. And so we're gonna look over here in the book of Joshua. If you have your Bible, church is a good place to bring your Bible. If you have your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one. We're actually gonna spend a majority of the time in Joshua chapter six, but I wanna talk a little bit about this intro to Joshua. 
A little bit of background information. Last week, we talked about the Israelites sandwiched in between Egypt and the Red Sea. And so the Israelites are faced with the Red Sea, and Moses holds his staff up, and God gives him the power uh, to, to, to split the sea. And so God splits the Red Sea, and the Israelites go through on dry land, and the waters cover up the Egyptians, and he kills Pharaoh's army. And so now they're at the mountain and they're getting the, uh, they get the Ten Commandments. They're learning how to live their lives. All of these things are happening. But do you know that if you read the, um, the, the thick part of your book, the Israelites, God's people had a problem and their biggest problem was their mouth. I know that none of us can relate to that, but their biggest problem was their mouth. And so what happened was, is they get there and they complain and they disobey and they dishonor. And God says, okay, I tell you what, I'm going to thrust you into the wilderness. I'm going to postpone my promise and I'm going to thrust you into the wilderness and you're going to wander for 40 years because I need to kill off this generation and raise up a new one who's going to go into the promised land. And so he kills off this generation, and a new generation uh, comes, comes to be, and Joshua is appointed leader. Now, sidebar, I want you to understand, God gave the Israelites a promise back in Egypt that he would take them into the promised land, a land filled with milk and honey. Essentially, what he was saying was, I want to take you into a place of abundant provision. I want to take you from where you are in poverty, and I want to take you to abundant abundant provision. And I want you to understand, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Moses was the leader. Moses was the one. Moses is a, is a hero of the faith. Moses is a hero in the body. He was not allowed to go in the promised land. The reason I say that is God deals with leaders too. You don't have to deal with leaders. He deals with leaders too. No one is exempt to obedience to the Lord. No one is exempt in obedience to the Lord. And so God raises up Joshua. He raises up Joshua and he puts this army in front of him. Now, I want you to think about what we talked about a little bit earlier. And the army of God says this to Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we have fully, fully obeyed Moses, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so these people are committed to Joshua. Now, I don't know if Joshua's tall, short, fat, ugly, anything in between. I don't know much about Joshua's flaws, but Joshua was the one who was appointed. And sometimes in our lives, we need to understand that while you may not understand why that person is in charge, God has placed them in charge. And that should be explanation enough. It doesn't matter what, it, why they got there, how they got there, but God has placed them there. And we need to follow in obedience to that. So these people are saying to Joshua, we're going to follow you. So turn over to Joshua chapter six. So they have now moved over. He sent the spies into the land, the promised land. They've come back. And now he's going over through the Jordan. This Jordan splits and they go through and now they are in the promised land. They are where God has told them to go. Joshua chapter five and six. They, are, they, are, they have touched this promised land and the first place that they encounter is a place called Jericho. Now Jericho actually translate, the word Jericho means walls. 
It means walls. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life when God has given me a promise or told me to step out in faith, and I step out doing exactly what God has done, and the first thing I encounter is a wall. The first thing I encounter is a wall. And what you do in that moment is everything with regard to what's gonna take place next. God promised them the promised land, but he did not promise them that they would not face opposition. He did say, I will give you my favor, which is what? Protection, provision, and peace. And so when you step into your promise, if you have God's favor and he's giving you project, pro, pro, protection, promise, and peace, or provision and peace, if he's giving you those things, then you don't have to worry about the walls that you encounter. Those are nothing but a thing. And so Joshua has an encounter as he goes here, and he encounters the Lord. He encounters the Lord, and I want you to see what happens here. When he recognizes the Lord, the Lord announces himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. So I've come here as the commander of the army of the Lord, and I'm here to give you an assignment. And Joshua responds with this. It says, Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does the Lord have for his servant? This tells us two things about Joshua. As a leader, he reveres the Lord and he listens to what he says. He reveres the Lord and he listens to what he says. Guys, you want to be following a leader who is doing those things. You want to be in a place yourself that when you encounter the Lord, that you revere him and you submit to what he says, that you listen to what he says. And so the Lord goes on and says, and says in that moment, he says now, he says in verse, uh, chapter six, verse two, do I have that up there? Yes. This is what he says. I want to read this. Here we go. The Lord says this to Joshua. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with the king's and it's fighting men. In other words, I have delivered you from the walls that are stopping you from the promise and from the people who have put them there. I've delivered you from the walls that are stopping you from going into your promise, and I have delivered you from the people who are putting them there. And the very next word is an action verb in the, in the next verse is an action verb, and that action verb is march. So God gives Joshua a clear indication here. I have given you the victory. I, you are going to win this battle. Now here is the battle plan. I wanna tell you in your life, when you come up against obstacles, we do not fight against the with the weapons that the world uses, but when you come up against your obstacles, God is going to tell you, Jamie, you've got the victory in this day of battle. Now here's the battle plan. Wayne, you've got victory in this day of battle. Here's the battle plan. And here's the thing about the battle plan. God says something absolutely nuts. He says something absolutely crazy. He says, you've got an energized army. You've got it ready to go. This is what I want you to do. I want you to march in, and I want you to go around these walls blowing trumpets. That's what I want you to do. That's how you're going to defeat this world. You're going to march on day one and day two. And you're going to do this for seven days. And on the seventh day, I, don't, I want you to do that seven times. March around the walls and blow a trumpet very loud. And on that seventh time, I want you to shout, and then I'm going to deliver the city. That sounds absolutely 
absolutely ludicrous. In fact, I don't know exactly how to articulate that very well to you to help you, help you feel, except for to say, if I told you right now we were gonna go take a field trip, and we're gonna walk around the walls of Springhouse because I believe that God wants to do a work here at Springhouse. And I said, we're gonna walk around the walls seven times and then we're gonna shout and the walls were gonna fall down. There might be a small fraction of people who would come with me. Most of you would think I've lost my mind and you would go home. But I tell you on that seventh time, if we would have shouted and the walls came down, there would be the greatest revival in Middle Tennessee here in Smyrna. It's crazy what God asked us to do sometimes, but here's the reason why, as we learned last week. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. None of your battles that you are victorious in are to elevate you. They are always to elevate him. And so God will give you crazy instruction because he is operating from a kingdom mindset. He is operating outside of the parameters of the world. Now, I want you to notice something here. Who is God talking to in this passage? Who is he talking to? Come on, guys. Who's he talking to? Joshua. He's talking to, jo is he talking to the Israelites? He's talking to the leader. He's talking to the leader. And so the leader goes out and he goes to the people and he says, the Lord has told you told us that we have victory over Jericho. And here's the battle plan. This is why it's important that you follow and you trust and you trust the Lord. Here's the battle plan. We're gonna march around these walls. Now, here's the thing that Joshua also knew. Now, I've always had read this story. I learned this a while back, but I, I always read the story that God had told the Israelites to march around the army silently, but that's not true. God doesn't tell them to march around the, the, uh, the walls silently. Joshua tells them that. This tells me something about Joshua. Joshua, Joshua knows the people he's leading because the Israelites have a propensity to her complaining. And so when he gets out there, he says, it says this. He says, I want you to go out there and I don't want you to say a word until the day I tell you, I don't want you to shut. In fact, I want you to shut your mouth. I want you to shut your mouth mouth. Sometimes you need a leader in your life that's bold enough to say, shut your mouth. Just do what I'm telling you to do right now. Shut your mouth and trust me. Trust me. And so they march around the walls quietly following Joshua's orders. And lo and behold, seven times around that thing and the walls come down. And that is an awful moment, an awe-filled moment where they go down, where God Almighty has delivered the city into their hands. And they go in and they take over the city. They go in and they take over the city. And, and Joshua says, because he knows that the devoted things are to belong to the Lord, he says, do not touch any of the treasury, any of the things you find, because we need to give the, the one who's going to provide for us, we need to make sure that we acknowledge him as the provider. And so we give the first fruit to him. And so they give everything, they go and they take all of the things and, and they put it in the treasury. And now they have a boost of confidence. How many know that when you have a victory, if you're in sports or in a game or whatever, you have a victory, you have a boost of confidence. And so they go into their next battle to this place of AI and they go in there and they go to battle and he sends some guys out and they come back and he says, hey, listen, you only need to send two to 3,000 men. 
If this is nothing but a thing, he, you can go out, they'll go out and they'll take care of that. And they go out and they are defeated. They're defeated. In fact, 36 people lose their life. And so they come out and the Bible tells us that the people's heart, hearts melted like water. It was like water. And so they're there and Joshua is beside himself as the leader. And he says, God, what's going on? And he, and he hits his face and he falls down to the, Lord, uh, to, uh, to the floor. And this is what he says. This is what the Lord says to Joshua. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I have commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. There's something interesting about God's retort to Joshua, and it is this pronoun that's used here. They have violated my covenant. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. If you know the story, who was the one who took the possessions? It was a guy named Achan. A guy named Achan. Worship team, you can come on out. A guy named Achan goes in and he takes the devoted things. Now, I know what Achan was thinking because guys, I've been an Achan before. Achan was thinking there are Tens of thousands of people around me. Nobody's going to see this little thing that I take. There are tens of thousands of people around me. Nobody's going to hear this little lie that I tell. There are tens of thousands of people around me. Nobody is going to illuminate this little thing that I have done. But lo and behold, there comes a moment when a spotlight is put down on Achan as the one, as the one who violated God's command. But God did not say to Joshua, there is one in your camp. God said to Joshua, they. Guys, I have to tell you, when we say that you are not alone, it's not just a fairy tale fun thing to say, oh, I've got some people around me that I can hang out with and have a backyard barbecue. It is because you are in a war. And we collectively, while you need favor for your individual life, guys, I'm going to tell you, we need favor as a people. We need favor as a people. And I know that this is not a popular thing to, under, to, to want to accept. But the, but the truth of the matter is, is that if there's sin in Katie's life, it affects me too. If there's sin in Jeremy's life and I'm connected to him and I'm walking together with him in a unit, then it affects me too. And this is really the crux behind iron sharpens iron. This really is the crux behind we need to be in community. This is the crux behind confess your sin to one another because we need the favor of God collectively in this war that we are in. And here's the thing. Joshua was put in a very hard place. Leaders often have to make hard decisions. Because God said that the only way that my favor will return is that Achan has to die. And I can imagine that that was not a popular thing to have to decide and do. 
But what Joshua fundamentally understood was that while he had many to love, he only had one to please. And so he executes Achan and his family and rids the population of Achan. And God's favor returns to the people. Now there is a huge, huge thing that is different between Achan and us. Because in a room this size, I can imagine that many of us could stand up and say, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I've been an Achan. I've been in those shoes. I have violated the Lord's command and I have too. But there is something that is different between the time with which Achan committed his crime and where we live right now. The principle is the same. The favor does leave. Disobedience to the Lord, the sentence is death. But the difference between when Achan lived and when we live is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. And what that means is that God says, you've been an Achan Ashley, you've been, you've been an Achan Arwen, you've been an Achan Sherry, guess what? You deserve death. And Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, I'll take the penalty. I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price so that your favor, God, can continue to be on their life. And so we want to be a people that rid ourselves of these decisions that will affect the entire camp because guys, what you do and how you live your life matters. What you do, the decisions you make have everything to do, how you respond to authority, it actually matters. And so this morning, I had us pray a prayer before I came up here. And I have to tell you that I'm gonna come down into this altar space because I'm the first one this morning. I sinned this week. I made, a, I made a very bad decision this week that really had a potential to hurt some people that I love so much. Had a potential, had the Lord not covered it, had the potential to remove so much favor in my life. It would have affected you all, it would have affected people in my life. I made a bad choice this week. And the Lord punished me. I had to walk through a hard consequence because of my choice, and it did not feel good. But let me tell you what that did to me. That moment when it was painful and I was in tears, it changed me, and it caused me to repent. Repentance is changing the way that you think. And it caused me to go to a moment to say, God, I don't want that thing more than I want your favor. I need your protection. I need your provision and I need your peace in your, my life. Would you forgive me as I ch purposely, intentionally change the way I think? Because this fight is not just about me. It's about you as well. And so guys, I don't know, maybe I spent all week preparing this message for me and for me to be at the altar space. But today there is, I believe, a special time here in the altar space. If you are someone where the Lord has examined your heart and he's bringing to surface things that you need to get rid of, secrets, the way I, I trash talk my boss, I did this thing, I manipulated this situation, I've tagged into the world, I've had my foot in one, uh, one the world and the foot in the kingdom, and I'm not living right. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can be covered. Today is a day where God will change the way you think supernaturally about that and he will forgive you. And you can walk away free and you can win over God's favor. Would you stand with me this morning?
And again, I don't know if I, maybe again, I'm the only one and I'll be here, but if you need to do some business with this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, this sovereign God, your King, come to the altar and do that business as we sing this morning.